Welcome to the Death Kit Show. Let's go. Hey. All right. Welcome to the GK Show. Fun music at the beginning. Yeah. Having a good day. Let's start the pod. Okay, what's up? Uh, <laughs> I'm back. I did. Uh, I was just trying. I'm trying to figure all this out. The best way to do it with my current setup. So I try to do my uh, my first video uh, podcast. Because it was, I had my podcast setups where it was, um, it was like it was going on YouTube or something. But I guess it was just going audio. Well, I mean, I did, I don't guess. I know it was only going audio. I wasn't filming video. And then uh, people, you know, were randomly finding it on YouTube. Not a, like a million people or anything, but a few people, and they were contacting me. And they're like, "Hey, like you should. Uh, this is great. I found this on YouTube randomly, and you should put this. Uh, you know, you should do a video podcast." So. It's a lot more work, and I'm terrible at all this stuff, and I'm very late to the game. But I, uh, you know what? I did the video thing last time. If uh, any of you saw it, and uh, terrible, I looked like shit. I looked like absolute garbage. And the angle was, I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this angle where it's like shooting down, and that angle, uh, it just cropped it like shit. It was like just, it was terrible. So now I'm gonna try this. This setup looks a little better. I got my. Jeff Keith Show logo thing in the background on the TV. We'll see how this turns out when I crop and everything. I'm on my computer here. Got a nice little setty up. Nice little setty uppy. Um, man, so while I pull up, I just have some articles I'm gonna pull up. Uh, and man, I've been trying to, I'm so late to everything. Like things that, oh, you should be doing this. And then I'm like, nah. And then like five years later, I'm like, I'm gonna start doing that. Like, oh, the algorithms change, you know? I'm talking about social media, obviously. Uh, so if you are listening to this and you don't uh, know me from anything already, check out on Instagram. I've been posting uh, clips pretty much every day. Uh, some old clips, some new, newer stuff. I'm trying to film my shows. I'm not doing as many shows as I used to because things are still just opening up or whatever and there's all these rules. And so uh, anyways, I try and post some funny stuff every day and I'm doing that because one, I should have been doing it years ago when the algorithms were better. could have built up a following. But uh, also, uh, I've been waiting. I've been talking to a certain person for a long time about launching a show on their channel which is huge it's one of those things uh is it gonna happen i don't know i've had a lot of <laughs> had a lot of this is gonna be huge things in my career such as i remember when i don't think i've ever told the story on the podcast before uh when i was engaged right so that's like a anyone who's married knows you're engaged that's like a beautiful time you know you're you're obviously super super you know in love I'm still super in love with my wife but i mean like that's like a you know it's just a great time you know like you're doing it you're getting married everyone's so happy you know and uh i happened to at that time 
get asked to uh, go straight to the producers for America's Got Talent. This is, I mean, America's Got Talent is still a huge show, but this is back when it was, you know, if you're on there, you're kind of like famous, you know, if you, if you go on like a few times. Even if you got on just once, you'd get like all these followers on social media, which is really all I need, even though I hate social media. Uh, but that's all I need with what I do. If I have any sort of following where I could promote and get people out to shows, that's all I've ever wanted to do in life. I never was, uh, you know, I don't have like dreams of being a movie star or anything. I just love doing stand-up. So anyways, I do America's Got Talent and I get a standing ovation and my uh, fiance, my wife, you know, at, the, at now, but my fiance at the time, Christy, she's in the crowd. They're cutting to her uh, and everything. And I do, I do great. Like the judges at that time were uh, Heidi Klum, Howie Mandel, Howard Stern, and Mel B. Right. And all of them were like, you were great. You were so funny. You're awesome. <laughs> right? Like I was giving me compliments. I remember Howard Stern was like, yeah, I think you need to think of, uh, like a reason on this show though, like why people need to root for you, you know? And like, I had not like, I mean, obviously if like, we all have things in our lives that we wish were better, but I mean, compared to the amazing, uh, amazingly sad or motivational stories they have on that show, like I had nothing to compare. So I was like, I got a, I got a bad back. I said something like that, you know, which was just like, I <laughs> just trying to pull shit out of my ass. And, um, anyways, yeah, all the judges said, you're good, we're moving you on the next round. The crowd gave me a standing ovation. They filmed all this extra package stuff on me, you know? Like, uh, packages, like, when they when you watch those shows and they're they're showing behind the scenes of you and they're showing this and they're showing baby pictures and all that stuff. They asked me for all that stuff um, after I went on. But before I went on, they had already filmed, like, this huge package for me. And my buddy, who was uh, uh, a producer at America's Got Talent prior to that, uh, he told me, he's like, oh my God, they're already, they did all that before you went on. I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, whoa, they're already prepping that package. Usually they do that after somebody does really well, but they must've already known you were going to do really well, blah, 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 blah. Right. Long story short, they never aired that shit. Never aired it for like three weeks afterwards. I was, uh, they were hitting me up like almost every day. Like, Hey, send us this, send us baby pictures, send us this and that. Cause they're just like making the package bigger and bigger, I guess, according to my friend. And, uh, yeah, and then right before, I think the week it was supposed to air, they were just like, that's, I, I may still have the email somewhere, but it was very short and like, yeah, they decided to not air your set. <laughs> like, that was it. I think they probably said, maybe said sorry or something. Anyways, my point is, that could have been huge, right? And I have other things in my career where it's like I hosted a TV show at a big uh, cable station and everybody loved it and this is gonna be great blah, blah blah next thing you know they didn't want to release it right away the producers wanted it to really be released right away they got in some sort of argument or something happened that didn't happen right so anyways this this thing i'm talking about why i why i've started to kind of put out on my make my instagram page a place where you could see like me doing comedy and stuff which i should have been doing five six years ago uh when it would actually go out to my followers now it's like it's a crapshoot like one day i'll post something and they show it to my followers the next day they show it to like barely anyone. It's tough. Anyways, so uh, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, so that's why. So this thing might happen, might not happen. I'm big on not getting my hopes up, but it's pretty tough when you have something that could be big. So uh, yeah, that was such a fail. They, that AGT thing, by the way, they filmed a bunch of stuff with my me and my wife or me and uh, Christy, my fiance at the time. Uh, and the funniest part is they never aired my set, right? So they obviously didn't air anything of me. 
But they did cut to Christy during somebody else's set of her cracking up. So my wife <laughs> gets on TV, my fiance gets on TV uh, for the show, but I don't. So funny, but sad, whatever. Um, real quick, I have been doing uh, stand up again, and it's so fun. And I've like, it was, I know the last uh, year and a half has been tough on a lot of people and way tougher on other people than it's been on me, uh, you know, comparatively. So I'm not complaining or anything, but I, man, I've been doing some mental roller coastering the last year and a half. Like, I was like, I'm done with comedy. I don't want to. You know, it's a point, like, where am I at, blah, blah, and then it's like, no, no, I can't, and then, then I go do a show, and I'm just like, oh, I love it, and I'm, you know, it's kind of weird, like, I've uh, thought about doing other jobs for a while, I thought about joining the Border Patrol just so that I could get paid to learn Spanish, because they said they teach you Spanish, so I get paid to learn how to, like, use a weapon and learn Spanish, and my wife is Latina, and so... I'd be able to talk to her family in Spanish and stuff about her in front of her face, behind her back, because she doesn't speak Spanish. That'd be cool. But uh, I didn't do that. And uh, there's some other things that like, crossed my mind, but it's just weird because it's like the only thing I'm good at is stand-up. So I feel like I shouldn't quit. But uh, anyways, I love it. I did a show for free last night. Not even a long set. It was so fun. Trying, It's just such a weird thing, trying out new stuff and getting it to make people laugh people you know total strangers they're not rooting for you or against you just make them like you and make them make them laugh i just love i don't know i love it ever since i was a kid i love making people laugh and that's it i had a really bad here's another quick story before i get to one of these articles when i was really young uh uh my first manager was this guy who was at one of the biggest comedy management companies in all of hollywood right and he's, before he was my manager, he saw me and I was really young and he's like, oh, I guess he thought like this kid has potential type of thing. Brings me into this big boardroom office meeting and I'm, it's like everyone's in suits. I'm in West LA, you know, Century City or something like looking over the city of LA, like in this, you know, out the windows in this boardroom. Everyone's there at this meeting just for me. And it's like, you know, lady in a pantsuit, guy in a suit, 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 right? Everyone's just like staring at me. Guess what I was wearing? A such an oblivious little weirdo. I'm wearing a button up like a shirt, like I guess like a dress type shirt, untucked, jean shorts, like baggy jean shorts. This is 2000, is this 2003 or 2000? Maybe it was 2004. Baggy jean shorts backwards hat that I had made at the mall that said Jeff Keith with an exclamation point backwards. That's what I'm wearing this meeting thinking I'm like, you know, big superstar walking in. So this is how much I bombed this meeting. They were like, and this is my point about how I've always just wanted to do stand up and make people laugh. Uh, the main lady, she was like, Hey, so Jeff, uh, is a very funny comedian. He's got a lot of potential. We think, we think it'd be a big star and blah, 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 blah. And then she introduces, she's introducing all them to me basically. And then she introduces them, uh, yeah. And she's them to me. And she's like this, Jeff, this is so-and-so he does TV acting. This is so-and-so he does, uh, uh, literary writing, you know, for, for TV and film. This one does, uh, film acting you know agent or manager whatever they all they all like specialize in these different things right and she tells me that's why they're all here like that's what they do and then she goes so 
do you um do you have any interest in acting which is what they want to hear yes they want to hear because they're looking at me like that's that's how you make money you know what i mean like it's really hard to become a big stand-up if you're not on tv in some way or in movies you know so that's <laughs> and this is like before social media so it wasn't like hey maybe you'll blow up on social media because you're stand-up or something so that wasn't even a thing so it's just like they wanted to hear yeah i want to act like I, I I want to be the next Seinfeld, you know, have my own show called Keith or whatever, right? And I go, I'm thinking I'm nailing this, by the way. This is not like, you know, I said this to be contrarian or something. She's like, yeah, so introduce all these people and goes, Jeff, do you want to, um, do you have an interest in acting? And I just go, nope. I go, I just want to be a great stand-up comedian, thinking like that's going to impress them, Right. It's like I'm this purist, and I go, you know, a lot of comics, they, they, you know, want to be on TV and stuff. I go, but not me. I just kept saying I didn't want to do it. I'm like, not me. I just wanna, I just wanna do stand-up comedy. I just wanna be a great stand-up comedian. And they were like, all right. And my, I'm just so dumb, thinking like, yeah, I said it, <laughs> I nailed it, <laughs> and they're all gonna be so impressed, right? <clears throat> Long story short. Uh, that company did not manage me um, until it dissolved into a different company. And then my the guy that liked me, who was lying to me for a year and a half, and he was like, yeah, man, you killed that meeting, finally told me a year and a half later, like, once he finally got me in, he was like, yeah, no, he goes, dude, that was like one of the worst meetings ever. Like, as soon as you walked out, they were like, the main lady was like, I want to make one thing very clear. We do not represent Jeff Key. <laughs> and then for a year and a half, I was being told, but by the guy, he's like, yeah, no, no, you're an official client, right? But uh, anyways, so I have, what was my point about that? I just messed things up. Uh, all right, so here we go. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this and see what I, why I told that story. I think it was just about me being a moron. Um, I want to do something real, I'll, I'll do this first. Let's see, 10 signs. You're not ready for marriage, okay? Let's see if anyone's married out there or thinking about getting married. Let's just go through this. See if uh, maybe you're not ready or maybe you need to get out of your marriage. Marriage is a huge step to take in your life. There's no limit on marriage. When you're ready, you are ready. However, there are a lot of people who just don't know when it's not their time to be ready. You consider your lack of experience in the world, blah, blah, whatever, okay. Number one, you're selfish. A lot of selfish people are married. Marriage requires you give and take from your partner. Of course, we're all ready to take, but are we ready to give? When we're stuck in our selfish ways, giving can feel like a burden at times. Catering to our own needs feels way more important than someone else's. But there's a problem with that. When you're preparing yourself to get married, learn to become selfless instead of selfish. Give and take could be a vital factor in your marriage. I always like to see who wrote this, you know? They don't even say who wrote this? Oh, this article's lame. Because um, there's a there's a account on Twitter, which I, Twitter is something I use for only to, I get paid to tweet about some shows, but, um, there's this, I, I like the fact accounts, you know, and one of the fact accounts, I can't remember which one is where there's like supposed to be tweeting facts every day. Totally. I'm not trying to be sexist or anything. You could totally tell it's run by a woman because she's constantly like, interspersing in facts you know like did you know that jupiter's made of gas or whatever the fuck i don't know if jupiter's made of gas whatever you know um it'll say uh there'll be like a tweet like sometimes 
men just aren't ready for a real woman or something. You're like, what? Is that, that's a fact? Sometimes, of course, sometimes men aren't ready for a real woman, but it's just like you could tell they're going through emotional stuff. All right. You're not ready to give up the playing field. Marriage requires commitment and time. How is that? You're supposed to, this is, this is news to someone. You're not ready to get the playing field. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to get married going, get down on one knee and go, hey, will you marry me? Also, I am super into trying to fuck other people still, <laughs> but I got you this ring, so hmm. are we good here? Uh, okay, whatever. This is, I don't even know, this isn't even really an article. This is some clickbait thing. See, I got to start vetting these. You have emotional baggage. Who doesn't have emotional baggage? So basically, you have to be. 17 and getting married in utah or something hey I have, I have no baggage i'm totally pure i'm ready to get married i've never been through anything heading into a marriage with emotional luggage they call it baggage and luggage is something you do not want to bring into your marriage plain oh, i see what they did there having unresolved issues and emotions with your ex-lover oh i see what you're saying should be resolved before tying the knot with another is this a rhyme they're rhyming things now Oh, geez. Yes, it's possible to still work through these problems while in your marriage, but do your best to get rid of as much negative luggage as you can before tying the knot. And then it doesn't rhyme. It rhymed and then it doesn't rhyme. Uh, not a fan of this already, dude. Hidden secrets. Okay. Second thoughts. Do we even need to read these? These are all not visualizing a life together. This article is total bullshit. All right. Let's do this instead. I'm going to cut out that other stuff. Whoever's going to end up watching this is just going to see me going, all right, let's do this instead. 10 reasons Japanese women don't get old or fat. What? This is from CuriousMob.com. No matter how much money we spend on ourselves for looking slender and young, it's never perfect for too long or permanent. We continuously keep on purchasing stuff such as anti-aging products and slimming products, unlike the Japanese who chooses to stay naturally fit and youthful though they age as well. They just don't guys, they just don't guys, but even stay guys. Uh, they, they just don't guys, but even stay young and fit in an effortless manner. Here are the reasons how. What if it was just like genetics? Also, genes. And have we mentioned genetics? <laughs> Exercise is a daily ritual. And of course, they show some thin Japanese girl doing some crazy yoga stretches. Japanese people tend to be active with their daily work. Bicycle riding, walking, hiking are the incidental exercises that keep them healthy, undoubtedly. They do get some time out for themselves for slight workouts, but most of the Japanese do not build muscles intentionally. Who wrote this? Just saying Japanese people, they're, hey, Japanese have a bunch of unintentional muscles. You know that. You see the Japanese people, some of them have muscles, and you're like, that was a total accident. All right, next. Number nine, desserts are kept aside respectfully. Oh, I love this. I live in a very Asian area and uh, mostly like Chinese and Korean, I think, was also Japanese. And they're showing a picture of like one of those Asian bakeries. And this is, looks exactly like every bakery near where I live. Too much sweetness in Japanese people's diet is not at all sweet for them. They know the effects that sugar can cause them, so they keep it aside. They do like desserts, but they consume it in a minimum amount so they stay safe they stay safe of every bad thing that excess sweetness may cause. Well, that, <clears throat> that doesn't sound very American. Breakfasts are like a king's meal. This is number eight. Ooh, this is uh, the golfer Gary Player. He had a whole thing where he's in like phenomenal shape. And he's in his 80s or something. Hopefully he's not dead now that I'm saying this. But I saw him a few years ago on TV. He's talking about how he's like, he 
eats like a huge breakfast and then he eats like a moderate sized lunch and he eats a very small dinner. And his whole point was, he's like, you don't, he goes, he goes, you don't fill your car up with gas to park it in the garage. That was my Australian accent. The breakfast is said to be the major and biggest meal of the day in Japan, which really is. The breakfast consists of many fractions such as green tea, steamed rice, omelet, fish, miso soup with tofu, etc. It's found that people who have a larger meal at breakfast and smaller at dinner tends to lose obesity faster. Well, yeah, because you're not eating a bunch of stuff before you go to sleep. That makes sense. You're just burning more off. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I can't eat a huge breakfast. I'm not a eat a huge breakfast type of guy. Never, never have been. Every now and then if you're going to brunch and you don't eat anything in the morning, then you can have like, oh, it's Sunday or Saturday or whatever. We're going to go to brunch. Like I'll have like a, I don't know. I, I don't remember the last time in my life I ever ordered pancakes or a waffle or something. I do. I like them both, but... It's just a lot to eat in the morning. Rice in every meal. How would this meal can lose weight? In America, the major reason behind obesity is the flour, the bread that they have in every meal, where, where else Japanese have their rice attached to every single meal. Rice is known to be one of the healthiest foods in the world as it gives us ideal body weight and has many other benefits too. What? I thought rice was, you know, not good. It's carbs, right? I know it's, not, I know it's better than flour, but I still thought it was a bunch of carbs. Uh, light cooked. <clears throat> Japanese are very health conscious when it comes to food. They stay away from excess oil, heavy cooking, or anything unhealthy. They choose fresh food, lightly and gently cooked, such as quick stirs, fries, quick stir fries, pan grilling, steaming, and boiling. They say too much cooking destroys a good amount of food value. Okay, all right, that's something we can go with. A small portion of everything. I can't wait for the part where they just go, also, they're samurais. Everybody knows the Japanese are samurais. The physical fitness it takes to be a samurai keeps them in shape, and they build some muscles accidentally. Rather than having too bigger of a portion of some specific food, they go for varieties of food, but in small portions, which is like, which is like they have a bit of everything in their meals. Japanese are trained to eat slow, relishing each bite they take. What is this article? The Japanese people eat slow. You've seen them. You're waiting for a table at a sushi restaurant, and then you see a bunch of Japanese people eating. You're like, oh, great, the slow-chewing people. Is that a stereotype anybody's ever heard? You know the Japanese. Oh, you mean the slow-chewers? Yeah. (laughs) They never fill up their plates. Each item are served in separate dishes, dressed and garnished lightly and displayed by its natural beauty. This person, I think, has like a Japanese fetish. Number four, fresh on, fresh on seasoned food. They choose food according to their season as the food turns out to be of its best quality by its environment and nature. Supermarkets in Japan are full of freshness and, excuse me, and up-to-date foods. They believe in having food as soon as they are harvested. Okay, fresh food. Home food. Uh, this article, I don't know who wrote it. I think depending on who wrote it, it could be pretty racist if it wasn't somebody at least somewhat Japanese. This, pi- this picture on this one shows a Japanese girl with chopsticks and she's like in the kitchen. She's dropping food into her mouth, a bunch of noodles. People in Japan are home food lovers and why won't they be? They have their grilled fish, miso soup, steamed rice, fresh veggies, seafood, fruits as their desserts, and whatnot. Ooh, that Japanese whatnot is pretty good. Have you guys ever tried Japanese whatnot? Yet Japan makes up the world's 2%... Guys, I'm not reading this incorrectly. It's written like with a bunch of grammatical errors. Yet Japan makes up the world's 2% population. Makes 2% of the population. 
They gather up up 10% of the world's fish. They gather up to 10% of the world's fish. The daily doses of omega-3 fatty acid are consumed by these people. No wonder why they live longer. Wholesome staple food. The ingredients of every... Are these all the same thing, just reworded? The ingredients every Japanese home's own are nothing but treasures. All they have is wholesome, nutritious staples that make up their lives longer and healthier. They live longer and don't look aged as their food habits and their living style are the ones which stand as a barrier against the wrinkles, aging spots, diseases, and harmful fats in their bodies. Apparently these people have never had Japanese whiskey. Is that good for you too? <laughs> they enjoy food, number one. That's the number one reason why they're in good shape. Dieting is not on J Japanese people's list. They are more comfortable having and enjoying varieties of their food collections rather than starving themselves to lose weight. They have their own techniques and mindset to stay impeccable by consuming as a replacement of leaving. They appreciate their food habits, which are a lifeline to their elongated lifespan. Okay. Well, there you have it. Japanese people are better than you if you're not Japanese. All right. Let's read this one. Hopefully this one's not stupid. I'm never going to that first website I went to again. Why breaking up can be so hard to do. This is from Psychology Today, which sometimes has good articles. Examining progression bias in relationships. We have a natural tendency, the progression bias, to keep moving forward with a relationship and ignore warning signs of trouble. This progression bias is driven by evolutionary, cognitive, emotional, and social forces. Even when we do have doubts about moving on with a relationship, our social networks will encourage us to push forward anyways. Well, I don't know about that. I definitely was in some relationships where my friends were, and my family were like, get out. It's over. This is over. You got to move on. So I don't know. I was the one that was like, no, I'm going to give another chance. It's going to work. <laughs> After the party for her 20th wedding anniversary, Angie sits at her hairdresser wondering how she had got to this point in her life. Steve was hardly the kind of man she had imagined marrying. Not at all her type. She never understood why she even dated him in the first place. This, is, this sounds very romantic. Is this the notebook? Notebook number two? The sequel? Sure, they had fun together, but she saw the red flags early on, even though she chose to ignore them. There was no one else on the horizon at that point, and her friends all told her what a catch he was. Have I read this before? She kept on dating him, and before she knew it, they were living together, and then they got married. How many times has she thought about leaving him in the last 20 years? And yet, she never did. Why do we stay when we want to leave? Is that a fake thing? Or is that, who, this guy really knows somebody named Angie. The author is David Ludden, PhD. Uh, why do we stay when we want to leave? We'd like to think of the Western court, courtship ritual of dating and cohabitating as a test of whether a couple is compatible for marriage. But in a recent article published in the journal Personality and Social Psychology Review, oh, I subscribe to that, Canadian psychologists Samantha Joel and Jeff McDonald, Jeff spelled my way, argue that most people simply move through the various stages of relationship building without any serious consideration of whether their partner is right for them in the long run. They refer to this tendency to keep moving forward in a relationship as progression bias. Joel and McDonald point out that people can easily describe what their ideal partner would be like, but in reality, people are willing to date a wide range of potential partners that don't even come close to meeting their ideal. Instead, once they start dating someone, I always think that's funny when somebody... Uh, you know, and uh, there'll be like an actor on TV or an actress and someone goes like, I don't even think they're good looking. And it's like, but then you see who they're with and you're like, wait, you think they're good looking? My wife does that sometimes. She'll say like uh, some guy on TV, I'll be like, dude, I go, that guy's fucking, that guy's really good looking. And I was like, I don't even think so. I'm like, well, he's way better looking than me. And she's like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, what are you talking about? That guy like models when he's not on TV and I'm me. And she's like, 
I don't think so. I'm like, you don't need to lie to my face anymore. We have two kids. You don't need to pretend I'm hotter than hot models on TV. That's not, I didn't marry you because you were full of shit. Anyways, uh, people are willing to date a wide range of potential partners that don't even come close to meeting their ideal. Instead, once they start dating someone, they revise their ideal to approach the qualities of their new partner. Furthermore, they tend to look past their partner's flaws, doing them in a far more positive light than an objective observer would. What? I feel like when you're with somebody for a long time, you start pointing out their flaws. As a relationship advances, couples invest more and more into it, making it costly to leave. Even couples in friends with benefits arrangements often end up in long-term committed relationship as they share more and more of their life together. This is because intimate sex partners quickly develop an attachment to each other. What? You had to do a study to figure out if people are boning all the time? Eventually, they're going to have an attachment to each other? They're literally attached while they're boning. <laughs> What's the deal with the physical boning attachment? The authors also note that couples rarely give much deliberative thought to their decision to move in together. Instead, as the relationship develops, they spend more time in each other's places until it simply makes more sense to share one space instead. Although people think of cohabitation as a kind of trial marriage, it can be very difficult to leave after moving in together. Instead, most couples get married after an appropriate amount of time has passed, often under social pressure from friends and families. So when are you two going to tie the knot? That guy definitely wrote that in a stereotypical Jewish mother voice. So, when are you two going to tie the knot? Huh? That never happened to me, by the way. I, I don't think that happened to... I'm going to have to ask Christy about that, my wife, if that ever happened to her. But my parents were never, hey, when are you going to get married? They never said that. Because they knew I'd bite their heads off. <laughs> you don't even worry about when I get married, okay? You just show up and look nice. People in committed relationships often prefer to stay in a less than ideal situation even when attractive alternatives are available. Likewise, many find it difficult to leave abusive relationships. Even when couples do break up, the chances of them getting back together again are fairly high. Well, I know all about that from my past. Why does progression bias occur? Why do people show a progression bias in relationships? Joel and McDonald offer evolutionary cognitive, emotional, and social explanations. At the evolutionary level, it makes sense to those who enter into a committed, intimate relationship are more likely to have offspring and thus pass on their genes than those who don't. Wait, what? It makes sense that those who enter into a committed, intimate relationship are more likely to have offspring, okay, of course, and thus pass on their genes, yeah, that's what offspring is, than those who don't. Well, of course, if you're not in, oh, they're saying if you're not in a committed relationship, there's less of a chance you have kids with someone. Like, okay, this is, this is a study you had to figure this out? If you hold out until you find someone who meets your ideal, you may never mate at all. At the cognitive level, people can quickly, people can get quickly overwhelmed when they have to decide among many choices. The typical young adult encounters dozens of potential mates each day. In the face of an overwhelming number of op options, people make, quote, good enough choices instead, whether buying a new smartphone or searching for a mate. Who, who's this? This doctor thinks everyone's just super hot walking around like, man, I could bang like 12 new people every day. 12 new people that I meet every day are like, I want to live with Jeff. <laughs> I want to marry Jeff and have Jeff's offspring. Do you know people that would be? That would be, I don't know. I guess if you're out there and about, you're in a big city, maybe cross paths with 12 people, but... I don't think I'm meeting 12 people every day who are like, ah, oh, it's too bad he's married with children because I'm one of the 12 people today that would love to have Jeff's offspring. 
At the emotional level, many people experience a fear of missing out on a romantic opportunity. Thus, they would rather risk rejection when approaching <coughs> a potential partner rather than miss an opportunity for romance, even if it leads to a relationship that's less than ideal. Jeez, this whole article is like, hey guys, the grass is greener, you know? That's a horror. Isn't that a bad way to think? Like the grass is always, I mean, it's not good to settle, but if you're happy, I don't think you should be reading articles where it's like, you know, you probably fucked up, right? There's probably somebody better out there, but you're too much of a wuss, so you stuck with this person, but really, it's better over there. Great way to think. Once a couple starts dating, they go through the processes of infatuation and attachment. People quickly fall in love with partners they just started dating, and this infatuation helps drive the relationship to higher and higher levels of commitment. Even after infatuation fades, attachment keeps the couple bound together. I haven't learned really anything new yet. Have you guys from this article? I thought this was going to be very informative, but these are all kind of common sense things. Within months, people develop an attachment to their new partner such that they feel reassured in their presence and an anxious or restless uh, in their absence. Long after the infatuation has faded, feelings of attachment continue to bind a couple together, making it difficult to break up the relationship even when the situation is far from ideal. I dated a girl once that told me, because I was always like on the road, you know, I was always touring, and she said... You have to see each other, I think she said either once every two weeks or once every three weeks because she said like your pheromones or something. Do we all give off? Yeah, we all give off pheromones, right? Like you have to like smell each other and it like reminds, like it like keeps that spark going or something. I have no idea if that's true. Hopefully this article addresses it and I don't think it will. At a social level, there are many advantages to being coupled and many disadvantages to being single. Friends and family will keep asking when you're going to find someone nice and settle down. Who's this guy talking about? On one hand, you're so hot, everybody wants to be with you. On the other hand, people are like, hey, why are you single? You know, when are you going to settle down? You can't find someone. Likewise, many social events are set for couples and attending without a partner can be awkward. Furthermore, married couples enjoy all sorts of financial benefits, such as lower taxes that singles do not. Is progression bias... This is the very end of the article, and now my dog is going to bark during the rest of the podcast. Is progression bias avoidable. Dating may seem like a process for trying out various potential partners to find the best fit for marriage. However, Joel and McDonald argue careful observations show that this is not the case for most people. Rather, we show a progression bias in relationship formation. Once we find a partner who responds to our advances, we move through the stages of dating, sexual intimacy, I want to kill my dog, sexual intimacy, cohabitation, and marriage as if on a conveyor belt. Although we're supposed to be on the lookout for signs of trouble, we disregard those red flags even when they clearly tell us it's going to be a rocky road ahead. In the end, it's in our nature to progress forward in relationships. And even if we try to resist, our genes and our social networks push us onward anyway. All right. Well, I was going to... Where's the... Is my, oh, my dog's still outside? That guy. I'm just going to have to edit this. Okay, let's see. I'm trying to wrap up this pod. I wanted to read these, uh, I thought it'd be a good little writing exercise to look up facts, you know? I told you guys I like those fact pages or whatever, where they tell you those fact accounts. Um, well, this is not it. Is this one it? This one's not it. Um, oh, there we go. So I'm gonna read you a couple, right? Now these these are real facts and then uh, a corny joke, really, afterwards. Um, riding or sitting on a turtle... Uh, <laughs> let me start over. Riding or sitting on a sea turtle is a third-degree felony in the United States. It goes up to second degree if you fuck it. 
laugh track. <coughs> uh, hugging your cat has been shown to reduce stress and anxiety. And if you're a woman, stroking your kitty really helps. Male lobsters' bladders are in their heads, and when they fight, they squirt each other in the face with urine. The only time I peed on a guy is when I'm drunk or he paid me 15 bucks. Now I need the symbols. But um, <laughs> uh, This one is so stupid. Feral pigs in Italy ate $22,000 worth of cocaine hidden in a forest. After ingesting that much coke, they ran so fast, they immediately turned into bacon. That's almost a joke for kids, except it's about cocaine. But it's such a kid joke. Uh, the bird on Twitter's logo's name is Larry, and he's named after the basketball legend Larry Bird. That's true. The F in the Facebook logo stands for, fuck you, we're stealing your data. <laughs> Am I just, what is wrong with me? Uh, a mix between a chihuahua and a dachshund is called a chihuini. I guess that's true. A mix between a chihuahua and a dachshund is technically called a chihuini. And when a Great Dane has sex with a Chihuahua, it's called rape. <laughs> I'm just doing jokes to nothing. I don't think they'd get much of a thing. Anyway, who knows? I shouldn't be so hard on myself. All right. The fear of running out of something to read is called a bibliophobia, otherwise known as a nerd alert. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wrote other ones, but I think that's enough for this pod. Listen, um, check out the Instagram if you've stumbled across this somehow. Uh, I post actual funny stuff like stand-up clips of me and everything. Um, and uh, if you already are on my Instagram, just because the algorithms are so tough, if you could like and if you really like one of them, share it, you know, send it to some friends or something. That apparently helps it be seen by more of my own people who already supposedly are supposed to see my stuff. But uh, anyways, hopefully, fingers crossed... That big thing does happen, but who knows? All right, I'm Jeff Keith. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to my daddy.